Hey, happy Father's Day. I don't, I don't know what you like to do on Father's Day, but I'm really looking forward to the thing that I hope my family is gonna do for me the most is, is to be able to take a nap. <laughs> I, I don't know, I'm already excited about it, just, just thinking about it. We don't, our bunny ears, what? Did something happen back there? Did you say something? I didn't, I didn't catch that either. That's all right, you tell me later, after my nap. Hey, this morning, like Lisa mentioned, we're continuing our series on wrestle, wrestling with God, and we're going to be talking about what happens when we wrestle with God with our rivals, okay? So I, I don't know if, you, if a name pops into your head or maybe somebody's face or a rival that you might have in your life or an enemy, but we'll, we'll talk about that here, here in a second. But when it comes to our rivals, there's this, uh, there's this Twitter account that occasionally comes up with some pretty funny rival content, but it's specifically about rival dads. And, uh, and he comes up with some great stuff. And because it's Father's Day and because we're talking about rivals, I just want to share a few ideas for you uh, for down the road. Here, here's one of them. Had my kids out doing chores at 8 a.m. on the third day of their summer break just to flex on the rival dads in the neighborhood. So there's, some, there's an idea for you. Here's another one. I, I really enjoy this one. Explain cryptocurrency to a rival dad in front of his wife and kids. <laughs> oh, all right. Pointed out a dead tree in a rival dad's yard in front of a bunch of people. All right. Is that too far? I, I didn't realize there was a line on these. Okay. How about this one? Folded up a rival dad's stroller for him in front of a bunch of moms today. That's, oh man, I love, I love that one. Uh, sometimes you have to mention the run-up in lumber prices in front of a bunch of rival dads just to make sure that they know that you know. Now that you, what? I really enjoyed that one. But now that you know that I know. Right. All right. Uh, picked up. Here's the here's the last one. Picked up some lawn care for beginners books to hand out to the rival dads this Father's Day. <laughs> I, I like that one. Well, we don't have lawn care books for beginners, but we do have some beef jerky, original and teriyaki. So make sure you grab a pack uh, or two. Maybe if you forgot to get something for your dad, you can give it to him after his nap and, and enjoy that. But that's for everybody. So grab make sure you grab one of those. You can go get one right now if you want to. Well, we aren't going to study uh, rival dads in the Bible today, but we're going to take a look at what to do with our rivals with uh, one of my favorite people in the Bible. And her story is very brief. Uh, it's, it's not very long, but I just, I, I love the flow of it. I love what it teaches to us about how we handle our enemies. And her name is Hannah. And Hannah's story is in, uh, starts in the first chapter of 1 Samuel. And Hannah is the mother of Samuel, who First and Second Samuel are about. And so we're going to be there in our Bibles this morning. If you want to turn there this morning, we're not going to read every single verse that's in that chapter. So you might want to be able to look at some of the things that we talk about uh, this morning. But she's going to be wrestling with God in her life. And it all starts with, well, a couple different things, but really being treated cruelly by her husband's other wife. And yes, uh, married at the same time to two women is not really a great uh, recipe for success for marital bliss. Uh, Renee and I celebrated our 17-year wedding anniversary yesterday. And, and she is more than enough woman for me, you know? So that wasn't in my notes. I'm not sure if I should have said that, but that's all right. But, but for many ancient families, this became a normative practice. And so for Elkanah, who was Hannah's husband, and for Peninnah, who was her 
sister wife, I don't know, that seems really weird to say, but the other wife, uh, she, you know, had to live in this, this triangle of relationship that didn't go very well. Hannah was the first wife, and in fact, Elkanah loved her more, but she was not able to bear children. And so because bearing children was held in such high regard and esteem and purpose for the passing on of bloodline and legacy and, and survival in some, in some cases, uh, to be able to bear a son, to pass on an inheritance and keep the family name, this was in antiquity held to be like one of the most important things that you could do. And so he married another wife because his first wife, even though she was his favorite, it wasn't able to bear children. And so this shouldn't be the case. It wasn't God's plan for family and marriage, but many people that you would read through in scripture took on, took on this practice. And like I said, creates a pretty rough family dynamic. And it kind of puts Hannah in an awkward spot for, for two reasons, right? He says, oh, you're my favorite and you're, and you're the best, but I'm going to marry somebody else to have kids with. You know, and, and so he creates that problem. is like, you're, you're the first, you know, but uh, you're not really good enough for me. And then secondly, he treats her like she is his favorite, which causes the other wife, the other woman, to treat her very jealously, very bitterly. And so Hannah suffers become a, because of both. And every year they would travel to a city named Shiloh to worship God together. They would, have, they would worship God, they would make a sacrifice, and every year Hannah would be bitterly reminded of her standing in the family. So we're going to pick up in verse 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Here's the best line. Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? What an oblivious husband. Am I right? Like, guys, this is not the thing that you say to your wife in this situation. Hannah, why are you upset? Despite the fact that I married someone else to bear my children, you're my favorite. And, and I know she makes life miserable for you because of this, but you've got me. You know, it's like, what, what are you thinking, man? This is not, this is not what Hannah is looking for or, or what she wants to hear. And we can chalk that up to Elkanah being ignorant and, and sensitive, but it, I guess he's kind of trying to make an attempt in a really lumbering, you know, clumsy way. But Peninnah is a whole different story. To a certain degree, Hannah may have been able to stay separate from her in the household, but this was her rival who year after year kept provoking her bitterly, you know, make, making her life miserable in order to irritate her. And while I'd venture to say that none of us have been in that exact precise situation that Hannah was in, many of us can likely relate to what it's like to deal with someone who is an enemy. Even if we wouldn't use that strong of a term, maybe we would just say a rival. Uh, all of us can relate to that. If you've ever done anything competitive, if you've ever held an opinion, if you've ever had a disagreement with anyone, if you've ever been hurt by someone, you've had someone that has been a rival to you, someone that you have wrestled against. And how we wrestle against that rival or that enemy speaks volumes about how we wrestle with God through that rivalry. And so, I mean, we can all think of rivalries, but, you know, a couple from the recent past and, and even present that we've all had to deal with over the past couple years or so. 
You remember the Houston Astros versus everybody, the cheaters, you know, the scandal? Some of y'all don't care about that. That's all right. But I remember when they cheated and the Nationals still, still beat them. I don't know if you do. Yeah, Pepperidge Farm remembers. You guys remember that one? That's fun. That was for me, not for anybody else. Racial inequality versus law enforcement. How about that one? Republicans versus Democrats. I'm sure that'll go away sometime soon. Masks versus non-masks. Vaxxers. See, we get like real, real nervous about that kind of stuff. Vaxxers versus non-vaxxers. Anybody offended yet? And the cultural lesson that's being reinforced during all of this is that the more that you treat the other with your anger, with your rage, or as your enemy, the more you get the results that you want. But while sometimes this might produce some short-term results that seem fav favorably to some, it actually creates more long-term problems because it changes and affects the condition of our hearts and of our minds. There's not a single pastor I've talked to during all this that has not had people leave their church over these issues. I'm not talking about the Houston Astros versus the Nationals necessarily, but go Nationals. Um, and I'm not talking about on one side or the other either. I'm talking about people in their church who have considered each other rivals or enemies and have left their churches for the opposite ends of the spectrum on these issues. That, to me, that's, that's just mind-blowing. I mean, it's human nature, I guess. But, but it's just amazing how people, and this, I, to be honest, this has happened to me before, it's happened to our church before, where I've had in the same day, people come to me concerned wanting to talk about something faith-related that are completely about the opposite issue that they have concerns about. And, and this, is, this is where we've been directed more by the culture than the way of Jesus and how we interact with each other, how we view one another, how we contend with one another when there's tension, when we disagree about something. You know, for, for us to look at, at a place and say, you got two separate people who look at the same place and say, well, you know, they're, they're not conservative enough politically, for example, or they're not, they're not liberal enough politically for, you know. And, and so you got two people who are opposite ends of the spectrum look at the same place and say, well, I'm walking away from that because of these opposite issues. It's, like, it's because we're driven by something else, and it's not the way of God and how we view other, other people. By the way, we did a sermon series on politics last year during the election cycle, about five weeks. I'm not going to rehash that, um, but you know, this, is, this, is what, this is what this looks like. When you follow Jesus, you're going to have people in tension with you on opposite ends of the spectrum because it's human nature to get caught up in fulfilling our emotional desires rather than pursuing the truth. And this is so true when it comes to people we're in tension with, the rivals that we have in our life. For example, I believe that there's under, this underlying thought that we have to pick a side and be bold about our opinions between uh, you know, two separate differing ideas about the direction for the country we live in, right? This is just one example of many that we have in our lives. When in point of fact, Christianity is driven by the kingdom of God, a narrow path that is about following the singular way of Jesus, which is not even about compromise. It's not about straddling two sides of the fence and trying to make you know, two different sides of people happy, but it's the way that supersedes all other ways that God calls us to. It's a narrow path. It's not a broad one. This is why, for me, there is no tension in these issues. 
that so, much of, so many times we get caught up in the world to be bent out of shape about and upset and have enemies. Both sides can get things right and have elements of truth, but we'll never see that if we're only fixated on, fixated on demonizing the other people who we're in tension with rather than dealing with the real enemy. Here's what I mean by that. Human nature teaches us to treat those who we are in tension with as the enemy. Right, that, that's, our, that's our natural proclivity, that's our cultural proclivity, that's, that's how we look at things. But God looks at it completely different, and he teaches that the enemy is sin and death, and that the way of Jesus resolves that tension for us. So Peninnah's bitterness led her to try to make Hannah feel as miserable as she was feeling. But Hannah had a completely different approach. Hannah's despair led her to wrestle with God, not Peninnah, and seek out his solution for the problem that she was facing with her rival. There's great wisdom in Hannah's approach because she was pursuing the only one who could contend with her true enemy, and that was the consequences of a world that was broken by sin. So here's what Hannah does, and this is from 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery, misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, I, I guess, you know, because people show up to church drunk all the time, and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Deep in anguish, weeping bitterly before God, as Hannah bears her soul and presents her request before him. And just as important as how she presents her request to God is how she doesn't present her request to God in this situation. She doesn't say, dear God, please help me show up this woman who's been torturing me for years. Right? I mean, that's not, dear God, please strike this woman down. You know, that's not, that's not where she goes with her rival. It's what she could have said, but instead she pours out her soul honestly to God. And maybe you've talked to God like this before. Maybe you recognize that where Hannah is. God, if you will restore my marriage, I'll never mess up again. God, if you take away this addiction, I will serve you forever. God, if you help me get this job, I'll use it to tell people about your love. God, if you help me pass this test, I, I'll go to church one Sunday. You know, we make, we make these deals. We have these, these moments. And it's perfectly okay. It's perfectly reasonable. In fact, I would, go, I would go to say God wants us to pour out our souls, to bear our hearts and our minds and souls to him. These lay it all down prayers where we find this place of submission and humility. But Hannah's prayer, to me, is a good model for us. It strikes me a little bit differently than how we mostly, or at least I know I have in the past, approached this. Because while this connects with her greatest anguish and grief, she's not focused on her enemy here. And she's not even solely focused on herself. But she's willing to give up what she requests for God in this moment. And I think that's incredibly, an incredibly important distinction. Once Hannah has her conversation with Eli, she leaves encouraged that she's approached God well. And here's why that matters. People are often bold about the results that they want, 
but not often bold in their spiritual integrity when it comes to what they want. This requires faithfulness in our discipleship to Jesus, not just our opinions or emotions, feelings, and desires. It's not new for people to get caught up in the idea that the ends justify the means, but it's becoming flaunted and celebrated and fought over so prevalently that it seems clear that most people have forgotten that that's wrong. It's a wrong way to approach life. It's a wrong way to approach God. It's a wrong way to approach our rivals. Hannah could have easily let her home situation, her life situation, lead her into a life campaign of bitterness against her husband and his second wife. But instead, she pours out her soul and wrestles with God and walks away content that whatever happens, whatever may come, God is for her. And because of that, the case, which is the case for everyone who's disciples of Jesus, no one can be against her. Romans 8, Paul writes in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So there are a couple things that I want to remind us when it comes to how we wrestle with God because of the effect of rivals or enemies in our lives. What we need to remember about what it looks like to live as more than conquerors because of Jesus. The first, the first thing is this, is that other people are not the enemy. That's a tough one for me. You know, it's one of those things that's much easier said than, live, than lived out. But, but it really is true. Other people are not the enemy. This is why we're told to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, and that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces of evil. Broken human nature comes about for a variety of different reasons and the rivalries that you and I face. If we knew the background of why our enemy is the way that they are, we would most likely be moved to pity them and find some room in our hearts to forgive them just as God is. If we true, God does, us. If we truly understood like what has happened in their life, what has brought them to, to that place. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences and it doesn't mean that at some point you have to become best friends, but that there's always something deeper spiritually below the facade and below the tension and below our, rival, our rivalry. Hurting people hurt people, but Hannah doesn't hurt, turn her hurt into anger against her rival. She gives it to God to deal with. Which sometimes it becomes really difficult to, for us because sometimes even, even though we might not think this consciously, sometimes it creeps into the way that we relate to God is that sometimes we forget that God is not the enemy. God is not the enemy in, in whatever situation that you might be dealing with with your enemy. Some along, some, somewhere along the way in your faith journey, you will come up, it's just a matter, a matter of time, you will come up against something that you struggle with. Maybe it will be a deep anguish in your soul, maybe it will be a person that you struggle with, but when we pursue his will in the matter, not only will God sustain us, he will lead us to something better. We might butt heads with God, we might disagree with him in the strongest terms. You probably should disagree with God at some point because otherwise you might be making him in your image rather than you know, us being in his image. But following him will produce the righteousness of God that presents practically in our life through love, joy, and peace with others. 
And the third thing I would ask you and encourage you to, to remember is this. When we align our hearts with God's will, no evil can overpower his purpose. No evil can withstand it. We are more than conquerors. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19, early in the morning after all of this has happened, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. And so in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, which sounds like heard of God, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. By the way, after this, at some point this week, check out Hannah's prayer of praise uh, that she, she prays after all of this in chapter 2, the first 11 verses. Spend some time uh, checking that out. L- listen, Samuel would go on to be an incredibly significant, significant leader in Israel's history. While he was a young child, if you continue to read through the chapter, Hannah brought him back um, to, to Shiloh to live and train with Eli and to fulfill her promise to, to give her request back to God. And you might be thinking, at least transparently, I know I do sometimes, well, that's all, that's all well and good, but I've poured out my soul to God for some things and they've never happened for me. But the point isn't that Hannah got what she wanted or that she got to get a one-up on her enemy. The point is that despite her enemy, she sought the righteousness of God And he did something far more significant than just her having a son. He he did something for the entire nation of Israel. He worked this bad situation out for the good and did something incredibly more significant in Hannah's life and the life of the people around her than she could ever hope to even have an idea to ask for or request from God. And this happened because she was pursuing God's righteousness first. When it comes to our rivals, when it comes to our enemies, you know, we might be tempted to seek revenge, but God calls us to righteousness. And when we focus on following God more than being focused on our rivals, the Holy Spirit will produce that righteousness within our lives. Let me encourage you that if there is a person, if there's a situation, you know, that is coming up in your heart, in your mind, or at some point in the future, if this is, if this is the case, that, uh, that you, you remember Hannah and you remember her approach and how she wrestles with God, with the enemy that she had in her life. Let's pray. God, so much of this involves humility when there's injustice, when there are things that are not right that happen against us, um, sometimes the, the feelings that we have, the, the desires that we have are, are not that far off from being right, but they, they might not necessarily be good. And so, God, we ask, we ask for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that you promise us as disciples of Jesus to, to be there to counsel, to counsel us, to help us, uh, and to advocate for us when we deal with uh, the people who are uh, making, making our lives um, irritable or creating anguish for us. God, help us to, above all other things, even before dealing with what's going on in our hearts and our minds, that we, we would seek your righteousness and see where that process begins the healing that you want to you want to see that that it's more than about the results it's more about what we want to have happen but it 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 starts to heal our heart and our soul and our mind and how we we approach others who we are in tension with god we also ask for we ask for justice 
We ask for the justice that you, only, you, only you can provide in your wisdom, one that's not sought, off, sought, sought out by um, a human way of thinking, our human nature, you know, the ways that we default uh, to being angry, uh, to, to seeking out you know, punishment of other people, that, but that you would, you would work in those situations on our behalf. God, help us to see ourselves as being more than conquerors, not just people who have been victims of, of, uh, of other people. And God, help, help us to see that in the way of Jesus and how he leads us and how we choose to follow him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.